This is reporter Jillian Farmer, and today on New Project Media's Interconnections podcast, we have Scott Ferris, Senior Manager of Government Affairs for EDP Renewables. EDP Renewables is one of the largest renewable power developers and has assets in two dozen countries and two dozen states, including California. EDP Renewables develops and operates on and offshore wind, large-scale and rooftop solar, battery storage, and hydrogen production. Ferris has been an advocate within the clean energy industry for 20 years and has worked for the governors of Wyoming and California, a United States Senator and former mayor of Portland, Oregon. A former United Press International Bureau Chief, Ferris is also the author of four books of political history and his work has appeared in the New York Times, the Washington Post and the Wall Street Journal. Hi, Scott. Thank you for joining us today uh, to talk about California's new alternative permitting process. Thank you, Jillian. Appreciate the invitation to be on. So uh, can you tell us about this new process uh, through the Energy Commission? What can you tell us about this? Well, it was a proposal brought forward by the governor's office to provide an alternative permitting path for renewable energy projects where instead of having county level approval, you would be able to go to the California Energy Commission and get approval at the state level. It was part of a larger package of uh, energy oriented legislation that the governor offered up and it only was signed into law on June 30th. So it's still fairly new and we will see how it works going forward and how many people take advantage of it. And what was the, the process before this change? Well, in California, most uh, energy projects, certainly renewable projects are permitted at the county level. Uh, so you go through working with local county planners and legal departments and then are put for the board of supervisors who either approve or reject your permit. And so it has been primarily a, a locally driven proce- uh, pro- uh, process. There are other states, I think this is one of the reasons that California decided to maybe try this. There are other states where these projects can be permitted at the state level, but in California, it's traditionally been at the local level. And why was this new process pursued? Why was it necessary? Well, again, uh, this was brought forward by the governor's office, and I think that their their feeling was that they would be helping to expedite the permitting of renewable projects, as you know, a couple of things. Uh, Obviously, California has adopted a very ambitious uh, climate change goal of 100% clean energy grid by 2045. That's going to require the implementation of an enormous amount of new renewable energy in California and the West, because other Western states have followed California's suit. So the scale of development is going to be quite large. Uh, And so there's been some frustration that some of these projects have been waylaid by delayed permitting at the local level. And so the theory was, well, this will help expedite things by giving companies an alternative if they are in fact stuck at the county level and not able to get their permits in a timely manner. Um, So it was, again, I think that was the the reasoning behind it from the governor's office of why they wanted to pursue it. And uh, can you talk a little about how it's going to help accelerate? I know it's uh, providing an alternative process. Uh, why would a company choose this process over, say, the traditional one? Well, I think that uh, I, I will say it's, I think it's a nice tool to have in our toolbox. I, I don't know how often companies will use it. Uh, I think, again, uh, it's not that we've had a great deal of resistance to permitting at the local level, but there have been a couple of counties that have adopted a very adamant anti-renewable posture. They do that for a variety of reasons. They think it kind of changes the character of their uh, county, their local economies, maybe very ag-based, very rural. They see this as industrial development. There are some folks who feel that rural areas are being asked to uh, bear the 
brunt of the burden of providing clean power for urban areas. So there's some of that rural urban uh, resentment. So there have been a couple of counties that have said, you know, we're not, we're not going to permit solar or wind anytime going forward, at least the current regimes in charge of those counties right now. So this would be a tool, I think, that would be used fairly limited where a company has gone in and they just, the county said, don't even bother us. But the, but the company believes they have a good project. Maybe they already have customers lined up. They've already invested a fair amount of money and they want to move forward on this. Then I think they would maybe bypass the counties and go to the CEC. Now, there's always some risk with that, even if you do that. Uh, I mean, obviously, the CEC can issue the construction permit, but often you still need to go back to a county and maybe get a right of way or an easement on county land. So, um, and it also says in the law that if the, uh, if, if the company can't demonstrate that there's significant economic and other benefits to the local community, then the state will still consult with local leaders and try to uh, adopt the permitting process to try to accommodate their requirements as well. So we'll see how much it expedites it. Again, I think, I think the issue that we've seen, at EDPR particularly, is not that counties are opposed to renewable power development, but that they are understaffed. Uh, they are not quite ready for the scale of development that's already starting to occur and which will become even more significant going forward. And so we've uh, been supportive of an alternative proposal that's working its way through the legislature in the final weeks of the session to have the state provide some financial aid to counties so they can hire additional planners, additional attorneys to help expedite the process. So again, in our experience, most of the counties have been pretty open to permitting solar and wind development, um, but they just have not, sometimes not just had the capacity to deal with the level of applications that they're getting. Interesting. Very interesting. Um, and that kind of bleeds into um, my next question for you is what is EDP Renewables opinion of the new process? And do you think it will be effective uh, in what it's aiming to do? Well, again, uh, I think that we will, if we, if we use it, it will be sparingly and it will be only in a county where we've absolutely run into a brick wall and there don't seem to be any quote rational reasons unquote uh, to oppose our project. And so at that point, we might say, well, we're going to go try it at the state level and, and move forward. So it, it does provide a safety valve, and maybe it also provides some incentive to the counties to, to make sure that count, uh, co companies don't start bypassing the local process, because almost everybody would like to have the decisions made at the local level uh, in your, so that you have a voice, feel like you have a bigger say or voice in it. So we'll keep it, like I said, in the toolbox. We may use it, but right now we were more anxious to work with the counties to make sure that we're addressing their needs. Uh, to making sure that we're meeting whatever demands they require, generally, within reason, obviously. And so we feel we have a very good relationship with the counties. Again, Kern County is one that has gotten a lot of attention. I think maybe it's also one of the ones that caused this, uh, the governor's office to propose the CEC bypass. Uh, Kern County has actually been very, very welcoming to renewable power development, but it's also, of course, a major oil and gas producing part of California. Um, they have resented some of the governor's attempts to limit oil and gas production in California. And so they recently announced that in order to get a permit in Kern County, you need to pay what's called a cumulative impact fee that can be fairly significant. And again, it's, it was sort of a, a protest by Kern County that they don't believe solar industry particularly is paying their fair share of taxes. And so this was a way to sort of get everyone's attention to remind everyone that solar is not, does not pay the full set of property taxes like other kinds of commercial and industrial properties. And so I think there's been this sort of ongoing tension between the governor's office and Kern County that may have also been part of the impetus for this uh, CEC bypass. But again, I think our intention is to still try to do everything we can to work with counties at the local level because we, we wanna serve these communities. We don't just develop and build the projects. We also operate them. We wanna be part of the community. We wanna be good citizens. So we wanna start off on the wrong foot and know that we're welcome in the community and not 
kind of going in against everybody's wishes. Uh, and going back to the Kern County uh, fee, uh, how much uh, is that that fee? Well, it's going to vary. It's based on a variety of factors, but it's it's significant. It, you know, it could be up to seven figures or more. And so it was uh, it was it was something designed to get people's attention. It wasn't just like here's you know fifty thousand dollars or twenty five thousand dollars that most companies would kind of go, okay, well, we'll write a check. So it is it is it was intended to get the industry's attention, and I think it did. As uh, you're probably aware, and your your listeners are maybe aware, um, there is a legislation moving through the California legislature that would have solar facilities paying property tax. And so I think once we do start paying 100% of the property taxes we would owe if we were a different type of business, then I think that will alleviate some of the local concerns that we're not paying our freight. Uh do you believe that adding property tax to some of these projects uh, might have a, a negative impact on companies trying to bring projects into California, or will it not really have an impact in that regard? Well, it will certainly uh, make California solar a little less competitive and maybe make it more attractive to some consumers uh, and, and uh, load-serving entities to maybe procure power outside of California. There is that risk. That's something that a number of, of the members of the industry have pointed out. And uh, so, so what happened? So I think it'd be helpful to talk about briefly about the history of the solar property tax exclusion in California. This was implemented by a voter referendum four decades ago that uh, solar improvements would not be taxed. Uh, and I think that was partly to protect homeowners as they added rooftop solar that they wouldn't then have to be saddled with an additional assessment on their, on their property. But it also applied to large scale utility solar. And it, I think it provided a really good purpose for a number of decades and that it allowed the solar industry to develop and mature. But now I think we have developed and mature. In fact, we offer probably the lowest cost electricity. In fact, I know we'd offer the lowest cost electricity you can have. So it does beg the question of what has the solar industry, does, does the solar industry still need this kind of benefit? Or is it more important now, given the scale of development and some of the pushback we've had on permitting to contribute more to the community? We don't provide a lot of jobs. Uh, we do during the construction phase, we'll employ several hundred people to construct a solar park, but it only takes one or two people to actually operate a solar park. So we don't generate a tremendous number of jobs. And so the other most logical benefit to the community outside of course, providing clean, affordable electricity and hopefully helping to save the planet from climate change is in the tax realm. And so if we start paying more property taxes and allow counties to hire more public health workers, more law enforcement to do something with their roads, whatever it is they want to do with that money, it makes us a much more attractive entity to bring in. Um, and so I think that the fact that we will start paying property taxes, uh, it, yes, that will probably get passed on. Some of it will get passed on to the ratepayer, obviously, but I think it will reduce some of the level of opposition in California, make it easier to permit, and that also will save money. So I don't think it's going to inhibit development of solar in California. I, I, this is where the market is. This is the largest state in the union, the largest consumer of electricity. So I have no doubt that we'll continue to develop a lot of solar, but hopefully this will alleviate some local opposition to solar and, and make us a much more valued member of the communities. Do you know when we might uh, find out the results of uh, that decision? Sure, a week, a week from Wednesday, because that's when the legislative session ends. And so on, uh, on August 31st, they have to be done. And so we will find out whether this, uh, uh, whether A, the property tax bill goes through and it has already passed the uh, House and Senate, though this, the Senate now has to concur with some amendments the House did. And the, and the, and the amendments that the House, uh, excuse me, the Assembly uh, implemented was that we would get a two-year extension on the 100% exclu exclusion. So any projects developed before 
2027 would still not pay property taxes. But then after that, there would be no exclusion whatsoever, no percentage of reduction. You would pay your full assessed value of replacement value. So that we'll know that a week from Wednesday. And also that would also be when we find out whether uh, the, the legislature and the governor have decided to also allocate counties some additional resources, again, to hire additional personnel to help us with permitting and exp expediting permitting. So big decision coming up soon. <laughs> it, it's, it's, a, it's a flurry of activity. Uh, California obviously always has a very interesting legislative session. And of course, there's a tremendous amount of energy issues. As you know, the governor has recommended that the legislature authorize the extension of the operation of the Diablo Canyon nuclear facility down near San Luis Obispo. That's caused a great deal of debate. And then in conjunction with that, there's quite a few other bills in terms to help the clean energy, the renewable energy industry in terms of, like I said, permitting, also transmission, um, things to help incent the development of offshore wind in California. So there are around uh, clean energy issues. There's going to be a lot of debate, a lot of discussion, and some pretty consequential decisions over the next eight days. Wow, thank you. Uh, and circling back to uh, the, the new alternative permitting process uh, through the CEC, um, I know it's still new, uh, but have you heard of any developers who've tried to use the process so far? Well, as you pointed out, it was only signed into law on June 30th, so it's only been really effective six or seven weeks. So I'm not aware of any company uh, who has already made the application to be uh, considered by the CEC. I've been part of discussions in which a couple of companies have said they're certainly going to explore it very hard because they want to develop in one of these counties, as I mentioned, that has sort of been a brick wall when it comes to renewable power development. So we'll see how, how it's well it's used. I think one other issue I'd like to raise too is I think also as an industry, we just need to be smarter about where we develop. I think sometimes we, we focus very much on what the technical considerations and the commercial considerations, and we need to take into consideration the community and political considerations as well. There, like I said, I think most of counties in California, I, I believe the overwhelming majority of counties in California would welcome our kind of development. It's fairly clean. We don't have a tremendous amount of impact on schools and roads and things like that. With, uh, with There's some impact on the view shed. If you really don't want to see anything on the horizon, I guess we can be a bit of annoying, but we're not, we're not a dangerous industry, but we don't, we're not a polluting industry. And so I think that what we just need to do is to find out uh, where, where we, people want us to build. Uh, one of the things that's happening in California because of the mega drought is that thousands upon thousands of acres of farmland are being taken out of production. And we, we get routinely contacted by ranchers and, and farmers and other landowners saying, you know, I'm not going to be able to have an income off this crop. Is there any possibility you guys would like to build a wind farm or a solar park here because I need the revenue? One of the things I think our industry really does that's underappreciated is how much we support family-owned farms and ranches who who are at risk of going under or being sold to larger conglomerates, but we give them a source of income for using usually a fairly small portion of their land. So uh, I think, again, if we're, if we're a little more judicious about picking the spots where we develop, that's another tactic that we need to use in order to expedite permitting and help California reach its 100% clean energy goals. Excellent, thank you. And, uh... And have we seen any similar process um, or efforts like this alternative permitting before? And, and if we have, uh, has it worked? Um, I'm not aware of any other time where California has particularly tried on renewal projects to, to assume permitting. This, this idea was actually raised though a year ago uh, by CEC Commissioner Karen Douglas, who is now Governor Newsom's Chief Energy Advisor. I'm, so I'm assuming that's why this idea came from the governor. She brought it with her when she left the CEC and came to the governor's office. And she believes, first of all, very strongly that the CEC is a very 
agile and effective organization. And the CEC has traditionally permitted uh, fossil fuel plants like natural gas plants. And if there's not gonna be many of those or more of those in California, and I think that's the plan, then I think it's also trying to find a role for the CEC to play, a stronger role for the CEC to play in the new energy economy. So um, it has been talked about before. I don't believe there's ever been a serious attempt to circumvent local permitting authority before. But again, this is not unprecedented. Other states have what they call energy facility siting uh, com commissions or industrial siting commissions that, that renewable projects sometimes uh, fall under and then therefore they are permitted at the state, not the local level. But again, we, we have no beef right now with the counties. We, we, we work with them well. We want them. To, we want to continue to have good relationships. We want to go where we are welcome. And if we have made some missteps, we want the opportunity to try to correct those as we go through the permitting process. So again, we will see how the CEC uh, um, opt-in works, how many companies take advantage of it, and whether it re substantially reduces the time. When at the county level, in theory, uh, we should be able to get our permits start to finish in 12 to 18 months. With the CEC, there's a guarantee that they will process it within nine months, but that's only after they, you can certify that you have all your application complete. That's all, all the data that's needed is there. And one of the delays we already have at the, at the county level is that sometimes we get into the permitting process and find we don't have all the data. So it's not entirely clear how much the CEC process will be expedite the process or will it, or it will be less expensive. In fact, it may be more expensive. But again, I think it's a tool to use in those areas where companies feel they're just not getting a fair hearing at the local level, that the local level has for very dogmatic reasons decided not to permit solar and wind. And it just doesn't seem like the right public policy decision. But again, I think that's gonna be pretty rare. And, but we will see, somebody's gonna to have to go first and we'll see how it works. And uh, the rest of us will take note. Thank you, Scott. Those are my questions. Anything you would uh, like to add? Well, no, I think, you know, uh, I think the main things, like I said, I think that we have worked very hard at DDPR. And I think we've certainly been joined by our colleagues with other companies. And again, trying to be a good citizens of California and whole country. Again, we think we have a lot of, to offer. Obviously, first and foremost, we're offering clean energy to combat climate change. Now, because of tremendous advances in technologies in our industries, we're offering the lowest cost of electricity. So that's tremendous for ratepayers and has great benefits for the economy. Uh, we provide, you know, support for family-owned farms and ranches. It really helps maintain rural communities and the cohesiveness and, and save a lot of family farms and ranches. Um, so we, we think we're a great industry. Uh, we, we, we're very proud of our work. But again, we don't want to go where we're not wanted. And so the key, I think, is to go where we're wanted or if we're not wanted, to figure out why and try to address that first before we sort of, again, skirt local authority and try to go straight to the state. But again, plenty of companies have tried to do all of what I just mentioned, and they still you know, hit a, black, a, a brick wall. And so, again, I, I applaud the governor for looking for some creative ways to try to, to uh, promote the, the permitting and siting of renewable power, because California is going to need a lot of it. The country, the world is going to need a lot of it. Um, we're talking about 100, gig, 100 gigawatts of new elect, uh, renewable power over the next 15, 20 years. To put that in perspective, over the last 40, 50 years, all the wind power generated, uh, produced in the United States is about 115 gigawatts. So we're talking about, in a fairly compressed time frame, in a fairly regional area, uh, having to duplicate that. So the scale of development is going to be significant. I'm not sure anybody has completely grasped how large it's going to be, but I think people are starting to get that, and that's why we're looking for these creative solutions to do this so we do it right and in a way that not only does everything I already talked about, but it's just also a benefit to the local communities that we serve. Excellent. Thank you, Scott. 
And uh, this is Jillian Farmer with New Project Media's Nerd Connections podcast. Thank you for listening. Thank you.